and here he goes on. For brethren, I would not have you ignorant of this mystery, lest ye be wise in your own conceits. It is not for me to say too much on this matter, but I do feel there's been an awful lot of conceited pontificating in Christian pulpits on this matter. This kind of attitude that the Jew has no future at all, no destiny, that God has finished with them, he's washed his hands of them, they're under the judgment of God, everything's transferred now to the church. Well, it's partly true. It's partly true. Everything has been, in one sense, if you could say transferred to church. I don't know whether I would say transferred. I don't think God ever transferred anything. He just went on. It seems to me there's only one elect people, one truly elect people, and they're, they're all there by faith. And it means that we can look for some amazing thing toward the end of this age, whereby those natural branches which have been cut out because of unbelief, will be brought back and, and grafted back into their own olive tree through God-given faith. Now, this dear friend of David's who said that he couldn't pray for this because he was at work amongst the Gentiles. Well, I, I don't understand, as David doesn't, I don't understand such a mentality. God isn't a civil servant. He's not a bureaucrat. <laughs> he doesn't sort of say, well, when the last single Gentile is in, we'll do it. <laughs> Did he say that at the beginning? When, first of all, the, 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 um, the, the uh, Gentiles were brought into the salvation of God, did God say, now we're finished with the Jews? Not another one saved. <laughs> well, we've started on the Gentile mission now. <laughs> no, not at all. It seems to me that although it happened at Caesarea in a Roman officer's living room, in fact, Jews would continue to be saved for the next century or two. But more and more and more and more and more Gentiles came into their, uh, the Jewish people's olive tree, the true uh, uh, work of God. Now, I say that this is very wonderful because then the Lord, then he go, the Lord goes on here, uh, uh, speaking to the Apostle Paul, and says this hardening in part that which has befallen Israel will be done away. Uh, uh, how marvelous! And so all Israel shall be saved. That is, those who have become partakers of the commonwealth of Israel through the Messiah Jesus, and those who are of the natural stock, saved by the same grace of God. So all Israel shall be saved. And then he goes on as if to make it clear as touching the gospel, they are your enemies. They are enemies for your sake. But as touching the election, they were beloved. No, they are beloved. That means that God loves the Jewish people in their sin and unbelief today. And he loves them in an especial way because of no other nation is it, is it said they are beloved for the Father's sake. Then he goes on for 
The gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. How many sermons I have heard and marvelous ones upon this verse to do with the church, to do with us. And I have never heard it related or very rarely to the Jewish people, but the little uh, word for means that primarily it has been said concerning the Jewish people. They are enemies for your sake, but beloved, uh, touching the election, beloved because of the fathers, for the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. Now listen to the argument. For as ye in time past were disobedient to God, that is the great Gentile peoples, but now have obtained mercy through their disobedience, that is the disobedience of the Jewish people, even so have these also now been disobedient, that is the Jewish people, that by the mercy shown to you, Gentiles, they also may now obtain mercy. Oh, the purpose of God, is it not amazing? No wonder the Apostle Paul says his ways are past tr tracing out. How can we fathom the counsel of God? Somehow the whole thing, it's rather like the Apostle Paul puts in another way and says, now then, you men, you are the head of the woman, but don't let any man get big-headed. Because no man has ever got here without a woman. <laughs> Isn't that what he says? So he says, you're all tied up in the bundle of life. You can't have men without women. <laughs> and uh, yet in some mark. Oh, dear, I won't go on anymore. <laughs> the fact of the matter is, it's all tied up in the bundle of life. Is it not so with Israel and the nations? Is it not so with the Jewish people? And the church that somehow other, therefore, has led in the mystery of God's election to the great gathering of Gentiles from every part of the globe. And yet God hasn't finished with them. What really God is doing is this. He has tied us all together in purposes of grace. So that by their disobedience from every kindred and tongue and nation and people, there are those named with the name of Jesus. Surname with the name of God. And then in the end, when the fullness of the Gentiles has come in, that is when really, virtually, the purpose of God for the Gentiles is complete. God will melt the hardening which hath befallen Israel in part. And so all Israel shall be saved. Now, is this not fuel for prayer? I think it is. I think it means this, that if a hundred years ago there were men who taught this matter and taught it lucidly and clearly, we still have to say that to a certain extent it didn't matter if you didn't see it. Provided you got on with the job of evangelizing the world, getting out to the nations, bringing the gospel all over the earth, and the British particularly, for the sun never set upon the British Empire. But today, 
Tell me, can anyone really understand where we are in the economies of God, where we are in the purpose of God, without understanding what he is going to do or wants to do with the Jewish people? Surely if we come near to the heartbeat of God, we shall know something of this burden for this people. Now it is not only here, because as you see, I have confined myself to the uh, Roman letter here. They why? Because people say to me whenever I speak on this matter, you're always referring to the Old Testament. Now there are those who look upon the Old Testament like they used to look upon the appendix in the human body. <laughs> Something quite unnecessary that belonged to prehistoric man when he ran around on all fours. <laughs> and in those good old days, you only had to feel slightly queasy in the stomach. And the doctor would say, I think it's a good thing for you to have your appendix up. They're useless. I understand that today, I am not a medical authority, but I understand that today the appendix is looked upon as fulfilling a useful function in the body. That they normally try to keep it in rather than taken out. <laughs> Many Christians' attitude to the book is very much like this. I, it hurts me. I don't want to upset anybody here today because you're all so lovely. Uh, but um, it hurts me when I see people trading round with trailing round with New Testaments. Why do they have New Testaments as if there's no Old Testament? Can you have half the Word of God? Some people say, well, of course, you must have the New Testament. I mean, it's the ultimate, of course. I don't, I don't agree. I don't disagree there. But may I just say this, that that early church never had a New Testament. And they were all Christians. <laughs> Where then did they find all the doctrines that are now so marvelously crystallized and defined in what we call the New Testament? In the Old Testament. They preached the Old Testament. They lived in the Old Testament. The Lord Jesus opened their understanding to the Old Testament. But I am often told, now, 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 why do you always say all this business about the restoration of Israel? It's all Old Testament scriptures. I believe all those had been fulfilled anyway in the return from Babylon. So I combine myself to the New Testament. <laughs> you do not have to go to the Old Testament. If you want to talk about the restoration of Israel, it's here in the New Testament. Here we are on your own ground. So you cannot get away from the fact that according to Romans chapter 11, there is something to do with the Jewish people in the future. How much more their fullness? What will the receiving of them be but life from the dead? Oh, how we need it. Natural branches grafted back into their own olive tree. The hardening which has befallen them in part being done away. So all Israel shall be saved. But if you want even more authoritative, I am now adopting, if you may understand for a few moments, a liberal position. If you want a more authoritative uh, 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 verse, then turn to, to Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew, and 23. Because according to some, the words of Jesus are sacrosanct, but the words even of the Apostle Paul are not necessarily sacrosanct. After all, the Apostle Paul said a lot of things about ladies. <laughs> you know this kind of twaddle 
Anyway, some of them say it. So now let's take the words of the Lord Jesus. Here in Matthew 23, verse 38 and 39. Behold, your house is left unto you desolate. Your house is left unto you desolate. Never had the Lord Jesus referred to the temple of God as anything up to that point other than my father's house. Now for the first time, he called it, your house is left unto you desolate. You shall not see me henceforth. Oh, how many preachers have on the basis of this statement preached that there is no future for the Jewish people, not understanding that they have only half a sentence. Behold, your house is left unto you desolate. You shall no more see me till you shall say, Blessed be he that comes in the name of the Lord. This does not sound like the words of people wailing and cringing in terror, hiding themselves in the caves and the holes of the earth as they look upon the crucified Messiah. It seems a very strange way it seems to me. For in Hebrew, really today, this just means welcome in the name of the Lord. Does it not imply that some amazing radical change has taken place within the attitude towards the Lord Jesus on the part of the Jewish people? Until, you shall say, oh, blessed words of grace, you shall not see me henceforth. Sometimes people say to me, how will it happen? And I have often thought, and was thrilled to hear David speaking from that marvelous passage in Genesis about Joseph. I have often thought, on the basis of that little word of Joseph, of course one has to be careful here, because it is a type. You must never base a whole doctrine on a type. But I think it's beautiful the way Joseph said, cried out, cause everyone to go out from me and leave me alone. I have often thought, knowing our people a little, that in the end it will have to be something quite sovereign in which somehow that veil, that hardness, will be done away. This is not to say that every organization that is seeking to share the good news with Jewish people is wrong. Not at all. But what I am saying is this, it does seem to me that in the sovereignty of God, something will one day happen in which Jesus will reveal himself directly to those people. What a day. And then there's the most beautiful thing in that passage again. It says, as you pointed out, they were too afraid to talk with him. They were too, he had to go and fall on their neck and kiss them. So much for this idea that God is very starchy concerning <laughs> the Jewish people. That somehow or other, he's not going to do a single thing. Until they do something. Zechariah chapter 12, 
has a most beautiful prophecy. It says, In that day shall a spirit of grace and supplication be poured upon the house of David, that is the ruling class, the establishment, and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem, that is the ordinary citizens. And they shall look unto me whom they pierce. And they shall mourn for him as for an only son and be in bitterness for him as for a firstborn. And then it goes on to all that whole matter about the son, uh, the husbands and wives uh, uh, apart. Do you remember? Because in Jewish things, in the Shiva, that is the seven days after the death of a loved one, husbands and wives don't sleep together. A man doesn't shave. The whole of life is upside down. Everything is abnormal. Then for a month things remain abnormal. And then in actual fact, although you revert more or less to normality, for one year things remain abnormal. This doesn't sound like a whole nation being converted in a day. That prophecy refers to the recreation of the state of Israel in a day. A land being born, a nation being brought forth at once. But it seems to me that here we have the most gracious intimation of the Lord that there's going to be a period of time, perhaps very slow, almost imperceptible, whereby the spirit of grace and supplication will be poured out upon the Jewish people. And more and more and more and more will look unto him whom they pierce. If this is right, then this marvellous story of Joseph takes on an added meaning. When he first revealed them and said, I am Joseph, your brother, they were horrified. Because suddenly it dawned upon them the significance of what they had done. Now, can I say something? You don't lump those brothers all together. There was Benjamin, who had nothing to do with it. There was Judah, who tried to save him. There were all kinds of different outlooks and attitudes in those brothers. They were all afraid. And it says, Joseph went and fell on Benjamin's neck and kissed him. And Benjamin kissed him and went. And then he went to all the other brothers and he fell on their neck and kissed them. And they him. What a picture. What a picture. Does that give us some intimation of what in the end is going to happen? I wish I could go on. There are many other scriptures. Now I'd like to go from the, um, as we've sort of got into the Old Testament, go from the New Testament to the Old Testament and start on basis for all kinds. You see, here in the book we've got promises. Why do we pray? People say to us, why do you pray for political things? It's wrong. Pray for the conversion of Jews. Pray. But no, 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 just wait. We, having seen that there is a glorious promise of the natural branches being restored to their own olive tree, realize that Satan has picked up that knowledge as well. And he will do every single thing in his power to liquidate and eradicate that people so that the ultimate miracle cannot take place. 
He will economically destroy them, politically destroy them, from without or from within. He will military seek to destroy them. But he will do every single thing to stop the purpose of God from being fulfilled. For this purpose of God is not apart from the church of God. Not apart from the Gentiles he has saved. It is an integral part. In other words, this whole battle that you and I are found in is much bigger than you and me. It has to do with the whole redeeming purpose of God and finally eternal purpose of God for his own. And the final touches of the completion, as it were, to that great purpose of God will be the natural branches being restored to their own olive tree. For this reason, Satan will use every weapon in his armory to stop that day from coming. That's why, as never before, we have to pray political prayers. That's why we have to pray for the physical preservation of the Jewish people. That's why we have to pray about the economic situation for Israel. That's why we must do more than pray. We must act. We are involved. I must finish. But let me say this. If you do not come to the aid of the Jewish people, be sure of this. God will raise deliverance from another place. But you and your father's house will perish. In other words, this is not just to do with a national survival and a political survival and an economic survival. It has to do with the redemptive purposes of God for the nations. Therefore it is time for you and me, for all of us, to wake up. Be not foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. May God give us an anointing in prayer. May God give us wisdom and practical ways in which we can help and stand with this people. May he unveil for us something more of this mystery of Israel, of which, by the grace of God, you are part.